listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host for this week, Bob Osgood, and today I am joined by Jake Devereaux and Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster, and this is the Red Sea episode number 276. Jake, what are you drinking tonight? The old H2O, Bob, out of Oof. a cold, cold Yeti cup, so I'm, uh, I'm going to keep this water icy for uh, the entirety of the podcast here. And I'm going to try not to finish it because I don't want to have to leave in the middle of the podcast to uh, go do a refill here. So we're going right. to we're going to conserve our water. All right. That makes sense. Keaton, how about you? Uh, zero sugar Gatorade. Jake, I'm disappointed you're not drinking another gallon's worth of beer. Me too, actually. Um, <laughs> so the issue was I only had this like super uh, intense IPA in the fridge and uh I didn't want any part of that right now, and I thought, eh, you know what, I'll just make a gin and tonic, but then I didn't have time to do that, so water it is. It's uh, my punishment for for not being prepared enough for this podcast. All right. I got a super intense IPA, so we'll just leave it at that. There you go. Uh, you can reach us uh, at Gmail, redseapodcast at gmail.com. We had some great questions this week. That's getting some a little more uh, helium there. So it's good to see some questions. Keep those coming. Um, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BobOsgood15. Jake is at DevJake. And Keaton is at the Spoken Keats. And there is always the at OverTheMonster account as well. Um, so... Let's start it off. Since we last recorded, it's been uh, a wild up and down of a week. Um, there were eight games we recorded last Monday after the game. And since then, the Rays finished up a four-game sweep against the Red Sox, followed by uh, four games at Fenway where the Red Sox took three out of four from the Los Angeles Angels. And then on Tuesday night, the Red Sox took the opener of a three-game set against Minnesota and uh, are down early in game two. So really they've gone four and four, which is kind of incredible to me because of how many lows it seems like there has been during the time since we last recorded. Um, But let's start with you, Keaton. What is your biggest takeaway from the last eight games uh, between the Tampa uh, Angels and now Twin Series? Yeah, uh, kind of how they've been able to be successful while being wildly inconsistent. Um, usually that's not a recipe for, well, I mean, I'm not going to call it success as they're at 500, but it, like you've said, it feels like they've won more games than they should, even though they're nine and nine. Uh, and they're just, they've been wildly inconsistent while they've done it. They've had performances where Chris Sale goes out and strikes out 11. Uh, Garrett Whitlock goes seven, has a heck of an outing. Um, and then they've got outings like tonight where starting pitchers have imploded, um, Nick Pavetta giving up six fronts. Um, and then games where bats didn't show up or games like yesterday where the bats continually battled back 
digging them out of holes, pushing them to extras, getting walk-offs. Uh, and we're really kind of like the stars of the show. Um, they just can't <laughs> – it doesn't seem like they can put a full game together. Um, but they're still managing to tread water while they're doing it. Uh, and then you have games – where the bullpen completely bails him out, like with Carter Crawford's outing, which we'll touch on later. Uh, Kenley Jansen finally getting some saves, getting some usage. It's nice to see that as well. It's just, it's nuts that they've won nine games with how wildly inconsistent they've been. And hopefully that, I mean, I don't know if it's hard, if it's easy to, well, I mean, it's definitely not easy, but maybe there's, that, that means there's some potential there that they actually are able to win games with how inconsistent they've been, where if they can actually get a little bit more consistent and put some of these things together, then they can kind of go on a run here, but um, they can't keep doing this forever. So uh, it's just kind of wild that they've been able to do what they've done with how inconsistent they've been. Yeah. I think it's great that they've showed some fight, especially in some of these losses and then the way that they came back in some of those games. But I agree with you. I cannot draw many conclusions at all because from game to game you're frustrated with a different um, phase of the game or area of the team or whether it's the manager or the players or the front office it's just I mean this is why it's the middle of April we shouldn't be drawing any conclusions yet but I have no idea where this is going it's been pretty entertaining nonetheless at least we know that Um, and they're right at 500 so I guess that tells you something in itself uh, Jake, what do you think? What's been your biggest takeaway over the last week plus? Well, you know, I I do want to weigh in on the uh, the inconsistency here because I think it's such an interesting point. I'm just staring at the schedule from April and the two wins against the Orioles, one of which was a gift, then swept by the Pirates, you know, sweeping the Tigers, followed by swept by the Rays, followed by almost sweeping the Angels, Um you know, losing that game four to five, the last one of the set. And then, yeah, it's it's wild. It's been a wild ride. I don't know what to to make of it. Specifically, like getting worked by the Pirates at home and then like sweeping the the Tigers. That's that's a hilarious stretch of, of games. But the Pirates might be good. The Pirates might be good. And and you know what? I'm I'm here for that. I've been wanting the Pirates to be good for a couple of years. Um so Maybe that's a thing. But, yeah, I think uh, Whitlock uh, stepping up. Keaton mentioned it. You know, the first start was not um, amazing from him. But, you know, you expect that he's going to need a little bit of time. But then going seven strong, only allowing three hits against the Angels, one run, five strikeouts. Uh, He looked totally in in control during that start, gave the bullpen a much-needed rest, uh, was efficient. So I think that... That can be a pretty transformative thing for the rotation going forward, especially, you know, we're going to hit on Chris Sale's performance recently uh, up later in the show here. But, you know, if you can have a, a one-two punch of, of Sale and Whitlock at the top of your rotation and they're pitching like that, um, that's a pretty big uh, advantage for the Red Sox to have going forward. Yeah, I agree with that. Um you know, it, and I feel we'll talk about Bayo too, but that's why we have to give anyone coming off of an injury and getting put right back into facing a tough lineup like Whitlock did um, a pass in the first game. And I feel like we need to do that with Bayo as well. Um, you know, Whitlock was pitching to contact um, on Sunday's outing to the point that he was 
the first pitcher, I'm trying to remember whether he was the first one to get into the sixth inning all year, and then he ended up going seven innings full and striking out five, and he's had five strikeouts in both outings, but he didn't walk anybody in the first game. So he was leaving too much over the plate. His command wasn't great. He gave up three home runs against Tampa, but then he came back, and he was just exactly what you want out of Garrett Whitlock. And us talking about the bullpen last week, that was so important what he did in the second game. To get through seven innings strong, looked like he could have kept going in a game where they then had to go to Ryan Brazier to close out the game, um, followed by the Crawford long outing that we'll get into. I mean, they needed to save the bullpen, and that was huge for Whitlock to do that. And I think that's what he can do when he's on. He doesn't need to be striking batters out. He needs to keep the ball down in the zone, you know, pitch to contact, get the strikeouts when he can. But that was exactly, ideally, what you want to see from Garrett Whitlock in the rotation. So I agree, that was huge. Yeah, and just to hit on Bayo too, I was at that start and um, looking at the the line for Bayo, it looks so much worse than what I think it actually was. You know, the things that I was looking for with Bayo were was his stuff back, and the velo was good on all his pitches, and his pitches had a lot of movement. In fact, maybe they had a little too much movement during that game too. Um, but like, also, there could not have been a weirder start to come no. back for bail. And I, I kind of like at this point, I'm kind of questioning that a little bit. I'm questioning that being his first start back because it is such a weird day. Um, you know, the Patriots day game, plus it was delayed and there was a whole bunch of different rain delays, but it was cold. It was tough to grip the ball. Um, you know, the weird start time. It's just a weird day to come back. So yeah, I agree. I'm not worried about Bayo's start at all. I think that the biggest thing is that the stuff was there. And, you know, if you can get Bayo back to what he's supposed to be, all of a sudden, Sale, Whitlock, and Bayo is a pretty uh, nice little top three there. Keaton, uh, what did you think of Brian Bayo's outing? I don't know if you were able to uh, see the, the 10 a.m. out in, in Illinois there. I was not, but <laughs> that's okay. Um yeah, I saw the line after, and I was like, well, that sucks. Uh, but then I was like, hey, you know what? That was his first time back. Uh, Whitlock's first game back didn't quite go as we had hoped. Uh, and second time around was way better. So yeah. um, while I was hoping for better, I'm not terribly surprised it didn't go quite as I had hoped. Uh, but not really um, hanging a whole lot on it. And Your, like, your boy hit a ding-dong off of him, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, yeah, I mean, the stuff was there, like you said, so it's it's easy to feel good about it. It's easier to feel good about it, so rather ride that high than be like, hmm, that was a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to act like he pitched great or anything, but as you said, Jake, I mean, there was not an anticipation of rain delays. There was almost no rain in the forecast that day, so I don't know what the hell that was. And then he gets a clear call third taken away from him early in that outing. Ends up hitting the batter, and then there's a home run right after that. So the guy that he hit um, got on, and then he didn't end up getting the third out as a result of that. And another run scored. He should have been out of that with two runs. And then he's throwing in the third inning. It's pouring out. Um, There are infield hits going up the middle. Kike Hernandez ran the wrong direction, not seeing the ball off the bat on one of them that should have been right at him. Um, I think he had a lot of bad luck 
in that outing. He only had one walk. He struck out five. Again, overall, he didn't look great, but the velocity was there. He threw um, the fastball and the slider plenty. He was not throwing the changeup enough, which was curious. I, he over-relied on that previously, so you'd have to think that they'll make an adjustment there um, in terms of his pitch mix. I don't know. I'm not going to take a whole lot out of that outing, especially with everything that was going on there. It was just a weird day from start to finish. Um, so my takeaway is just going to be the wins that have been pretty much given to the Red Sox by their opponents in various ways and seemingly how many bad teams there are out there, even teams that have winning records that have thrown away games in the Angels and the Twins so far. You look at last Friday night's game where there was just a um, succession of errors. Anthony Rendon could not throw the ball to first base and Patrick Sandoval was swearing at anybody that would listen to him uh, and couldn't get through the fourth inning. And that game was kind of given to them by the defense of LA. And then on Saturday, they gave up a grand slam right away. And then there's the two catchers interferences in the same inning and just a lot of weird stuff happening in that game. And they end up clawing back and, you know, to their credit, fight back and they win nine, seven. They've taken, taken advantage in a lot of situations. Um, Sunday was a good win. As we said, they got ahead early. They, pitched deep into the game with the starter Whitlock, and then the bullpen was good. Uh, and then on Tuesday night, easily the weirdest um, out of at least the recent games since the drop pop-up against Baltimore, you could argue was a weirder ending. <clears throat> but you've got the defense not understanding how catcher's interference works and that it's not a dead ball, and Boston continued to play through that. And then that led to the tying run scoring because Kike Hernandez had a Heads up base running and getting the third, and then the infield's in, and he scores on the next play. Um, and then you've got another, um, or I'm, I'm thinking of in the last inning, you've got the wild play with the bases loaded where Cassis is tagged on the way home, and then they get a double play, and it looks like they're going to get out of that inning. And then Alex Verdugo hits a walk-off that goes to a place that you almost never, if ever, have seen a ball land in between the foul pole and the foul line down the right field line. So just kind of some crazy games that they have won this year, a lot of which have been given to them by the opponents that have not made plays defensively or been aware of the situations. And um, we had a tweet from Dan Shaughnessy on April 14th that I thought uh, really summed things up. It said, Red Sox offense has become wait for other team to step on their dicks. So we were discussing before the show... Do we think that Dan Shaughnessy was hacked? Um, had he had one too many uh, hardy IPAs that day? Or, uh, you know, should he have led his article with this the next day? I loved it. Uh, I really did. Um, and I think that finally, like, the time is perfect for Dan Shaughnessy um, because frustration in Red Sox Nation is, like, pretty much at an all-time high with how Bloom has run this operation into the ground over his, his tenure here. Um, and so finally, like his negativity is warranted and he's also becoming old enough now that he just doesn't give a shit and he says whatever he wants. So <laughs> the combination of him naturally being negative, the situation being horrendous, him getting older, maybe being a little bit drunk on a Friday, uh, the whole thing was the perfect cocktail to give us this step on their dicks tweet that we needed. And uh, <laughs> I really, really needed it. And when I saw it, 
I laughed out loud, no exaggeration, on my couch, and immediately uh, had to let everybody know that this had happened. So I'm here for it. Keaton, you my thought this was this, made up. Well, not that I thought it was made up. I was, I didn't realize he had said this out loud to a lot of people, and I, and so my reaction to this was uh, also an age-related take. I was uh, my assumption here is that as you know, he's getting up there now. He's experiencing the droopiness of age and uh, had just experienced doing this exact thing and was like, huh, that kind of felt like watching the Red Sox. And then was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tweet that. (laughs) I'll take that over. uh, Peter Gammons uh, tweeting out like 38 characters and letters that have no correlation whatsoever from his pocket uh, twice a week. We'll take the shot. That man's just tweeting out his bank password, and we have no idea. Who is this? Gamo. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's that actually probably is the most likely situation. <laughs> just doesn't realize what app he's in, and we're all missing out. How's this work? <laughs> all right, a couple of other uh, items from the the transaction log that are not great for the bullpen that we thought was going to be a strength and has quickly become um, a bit of a concern. Starting with Zach Kelly, who left with an elbow injury and now has been placed on the 60-day IL. Um, We ended up seeing Cutter Crawford, who had been sent down, presumably as a starter, get called back up. We'll talk about that in a moment. And in addition to that, uh, Chris Martin was put on the 15-day IL with shoulder pain. Um, and that, along with Jake Faria making a one-day appearance, ended up being Brian Bayo's spot that he replaced for Martin. Um, you know, we kind of talked about the overuse of the bullpen and mentioned Martin, that he had thrown in six out of ten games going into the last podcast. So I can't say that I'm particularly shocked by this. And I think as a result of everything we talked about last week and how overused people were, and, you know, which also led to Ryan Brazier getting a save opportunity on Sunday, but let's get back to Cutter Crawford because he threw six and a third shutout innings coming in relief of Brian Bayo on that Patriots Day game and really just set up, I mean, essentially set up Tuesday where all of the relievers were available and allowed them to go to, to Jansen in the ninth um, and then Schreiber in the tenth. So they end up having an extra inning game that really was kind of directly um, coming from Crawford's just really gutsy performance. And really everything that we said last week, you know, I had mentioned that I thought it made sense for Crawford to go down to the minors and and, um, continue to ramp up as a starter in case they needed him and stay on that track for a little while. Um, Keaton, I think you agree with that. And then Jake, you mentioned that you thought he's one of the 13 best pitchers on the team. Turns out that he is now that because they need a reliever. A lot of the narrative has changed with two relief injuries. So, um, Jake, it looks like you got what you wanted, uh, and Crawford uh, proved you right, at least in the first appearance. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where, like, you're not exactly happy with the way that you were right about this whole thing. Like, right. the, the bullpen's in a real tough spot at, at this point. Um, but I think that absolutely they need two long men in the bullpen at this point. Um, I thought that Winkowski with the way that they've been using him in high leverage situations for 
uh, multiple innings, you know, they're still going to need that long guy who can come in and spell guys when things don't go well, whether that's, you know, Corey Kluber when he's doing poorly or Bayo or, or whatever, you know, they're going to need a guy in that role. And it's clear that Winkowski is going to be transitioning more to that uh, late inning role with the amount of injuries that are on this team right now. And, you know, you mentioned there's only so many times you can use Jansen and Schreiber and, um, you know, Chris Martin's usage was really puzzling. It was, he was used on the 30th of March, 1st of April, 2nd of April. Then he had a little bit of a break. Then he was used on the 6th, the 9th, the 10th, and the 12th, and then went on the IL. So yep. uh, it was just a whole lot of high leverage usage for him in a short period of time. Um, this is one thing we've been critical of Cora about in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's not what you want to see. I, I think it's, it's a little bit more uh, acceptable to – see that kind of usage pattern with a guy like Winkowski, who's, you know, 24 years old, but with a guy like Martin, who's coming up on his 37th birthday, um, that's not really a guy you want to be overusing early in the year. So they're going to definitely have to use uh, some of these uh, younger guys a lot in in different situations. So I I think uh, Cutter is going to be up here. I'll be shocked if he goes down at any point the rest of this year. I think he's he's kind of locked in here. Yeah, he's pitching with uh, he certainly pitched with a ton of confidence on Monday. Uh, Keaton, what do you think? I've certainly changed my mind now that there has been some injuries. Um, are you okay with Crawford in the bullpen for now? Well, why send him down to be a starter when you can send him to the bullpen to be a starter? <laughs> exactly. It's galaxy brain stuff right there. Yep. Uh, Speaking of starters turned relievers, I have uh, felt since February that I thought James Paxton would be a great potential left-hander in the bullpen if all seven starters were healthy. So uh, he went to Worcester and worked out of the bullpen uh, tonight. He faced nine hitters. Uh, He got two of them out. He allowed five hits, two walks, seven runs, and struck out nobody. Uh, Cora had said before the outing, it's just a matter of for him to try it. He has never done it. That's something everybody is doing around baseball. Why not try once? You never know what could happen. He could come as a starter here, or maybe in September he might have to come out of the bullpen. We haven't made decisions yet, but it's good for him to at least get one try at that. Um, Jake, do you think they've made any decisions yet based on the James Pacton relief experiment? Uh... No, I don't think so. Um, But I do think that the Red Sox have basically given out $4 million of free money to Paxton, uh, $2 million of free money to Brazier, and a couple million to uh, Blyer. And you just go down the list of pitchers on this team that are completely ineffective and useless who they've given substantial money to. And you, you probably could add up about $20 bucks of of money uh, that they have spent on really, really bad pitchers. Um, it's just kind of shocking, the amount of guys that look washed on this team. And obviously, I'm not going to say that like Paxton is washed because of two-thirds of uh, an inning outing in Worcester, but like that is not a good sign. And especially... At this point, with what we're seeing from Kluber 
it's uh it's it's not great. There's not a lot of good options. All of a sudden the guy who we all wanted DFA Kyle Ort or whatever his name is, Ort. Caleb. Uh Caleb Ort, there it is. Um is uh looking like an important bullpen piece at this point. So I'm kind of just throwing my hands up in the air. I have I expect no contributions at all from Paxton. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like the Red Sox might have gotten a bunch of these guys where they just have nothing left in the tank. Is that not a great way to build a baseball team? It is not ideal. Usually you like guys with some upside, not guys that have all the downside. And uh, they've got a lot of these over 35 guys with lots and lots of downside. Uh, and myself, I just turned 36, so... I know what the downside's like. It's it's not great. Bummer. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you you look at what's behind these guys on the forty man. You know what could potentially replace any of these players if they go on the IL or don't work out, and uh, it's not great. And that probably is the result of a few trades that we've revisited a few times between. Whether it be Betts and Benintendi or Renfro and all different scenarios, but the common theme is that whoever you got back is more often than not either uh, elsewhere or irrelevant. And um, as a result, you have to then throw money at injured or old players, and that is about half of the roster right now. So, yeah. Uh, old friend uh, Ryan Brazier, three earned runs tonight as well as we are recording this and uh your yeah, buddy, gave up a dinger. yeah your buddy richard blyer has looked real bad bob Ooh, richard blyer i could do without uh watching him pitch again although i don't know <laughs> that he was uh supposed to be the primary lefty and hopefully when joely rodriguez is back um they move on from that spot and i don't think it's going to be james paxton as the second lefty so they need to find another lefty um, sooner rather than later. You know what we really to. need, though? We need Eck to come back for one game to watch Richard Blyer pitch oh, and just wax poetic about the meatballs that he throws. Coming out throwing salad. Ugh, what is this, 86? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's oh, man, need. he would not have appreciated Richard Blyer. Not at all. The Matt Barnes return. couple other moves jaron duran is up bobby dahlbeck is down i don't think that we were too surprised by that dahlbeck we knew was up last week for all of the lefties they were going to face and now they're facing some righties this week and duran actually um you know has had a couple of hits and you can i don't know i mean my takeaway with duran is that i watch him on the bases and you know if he can hold his own at the plate and it seems like he's made some adjustments and getting back to who he was coming up as a prospect and not trying to be a power hitter and, you know, hopefully has, uh, is showing a little more hustle than he did last year. But if he's here, he can run havoc on the bases with some of the new rules. I feel like that can really work to his favor. And we saw it a little bit with him on base in the last couple of days. 
Um, you know, Bobby Dahlback had a start at short, which was a bit shocking last week. And then other than that, it was a pretty uneventful week um, for Dahlback. So I don't know if we have any thoughts on that move. I, I got some thoughts on Jaron Duran here. Um, and I can't say that they're my thoughts. Um, but Lou said something interesting on the broadcast about Duran and where he has his hands now. And, uh, you know, basically he said where he has his hands, he's given himself a chance to use his athleticism and react to the pitch a little bit more. And from watching a couple at bats, it really did make sense. Um, kind of what Lou had said about that. And, um, I think he is giving himself a chance to impact the game a little bit more. I'm not saying he's going to be a regular or a star or anything like that, but I think that he has a chance to establish himself a little bit as a major leaguer here with this new stance. If he can kind of block out the noise and, um, and, and use his new swing to impact the baseball. So I am a little bit more encouraged after seeing how encouraged Lou was about his his new mechanics. Yeah. Keaton, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean those the all of that are, are good points. And I just one thing to add to that is just with the shift uh to hopefully running more, obviously that plays into his game as well. Um so it's just an addition for him to to be more on display with the speed as well. Yep. I think that all makes sense. I'm glad that he's getting a shot here, and we'll see. You know, he's made quite a few swing changes and adjustments to his style of play in general, and um, see if you have something here because we, you know, there there are a, a few different holes here. We'll kind of continue to talk about another one as Yu Chang is on paternity leave, and and Manuel Valdez is seemingly briefly called up. Um, as he's hitting 180 or slashing 180, 289, 333 uh, at AAA this year. But he is two for two in the game tonight. So who knows? And this kind of rolls into the next question, um, which was a great Gmail question that we got from TJ McPhee. Uh, and he asks, is it too early to call the Kike at shortstop experiment a disaster? And I mean, I would just kind of, extend that to um is the whole kind of middle infield experiment a disaster because now you've got Yu Chang who was stepping in a little bit at shortstop now he's on paternity leave but you can see if something else if they lose one more if they lose Christian Arroyo who's out for a couple days with uh, a strain in his leg you know another injury could easily happen in a place where they're already shorthanded at a position where a whole lot of errors have been made so far um, Keaton, what do you think? Is it too early to call that experiment a disaster? Uh, TJ is wondering. Oh man. Um, no, I don't think so because I think we were calling it a disaster the last time we recorded, right? I think we were kind of unanimous in that. Um, so we, we may have even jumped the, even further into the gun, uh, than this question, but I, I think we need to get a more sustainable solution there instead of just a bunch of pack patchwork things here in the lineup. And uh, I feel like since we all were kind of 
in agreement that it wasn't working. Um, it, it hasn't really moved in a positive direction. So I, I don't think I'm changing my mind there. Yeah, I mean, Jake, what, what do you think? I mean, what is, is there a move coming? Do you think that they are waiting seven more weeks, six more weeks for Monsey to come back? Is that what they, are they trying to tread water for six weeks to that point? And then treading water from there to potentially a Trevor Story return somewhere in August. I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think the long-term plan, is there a move coming sooner rather than later? No, no. I think I think you uh, you laid it out just how it is, uh, and that's the frustrating lack of urgency that we have seen from Heim Bloom and his roster construction um, since he's been here. And uh, you know, we we question this all off season. Why aren't they signing Jose Iglesias? Why aren't they signing Elvis Andrews? Like, why aren't they signing these guys who are established big leaguers? Who, you know can go out there and, and play 162. Um, they needed bodies like that. The, the knock on uh, Christian Arroyo was the dude never stays healthy. He never stays on the field. The knock on Kike was he's a gold glove center fielder. He's not a shortstop at all. Like, you know, there's there were, there were all these problems. The knock on Mondesi, we laugh about how often that guy is not healthy and he's on the 60-day IL. So, yeah, they did this to themselves. It's an absolutely shameful uh, middle infield. And, and at this point, like, I kind of just want to see them ride with the kids. Um, and, and Manuel Valdez has a real hitterish look to him. I loved how he looked in the spring. I know the numbers haven't always backed it up, but I have more confidence in him impacting the baseball than I do Arroyo. And again, like, he has some upside uh, there and uh, yeah, shortstop the the Red Sox are just completely porked until um, you know Mondesi or Story uh, comes back and can can fill in there because you know Kike is he's not a shortstop as much as I appreciated the play on Patriots Day where he kind of made that toss over to first base while he was falling to the ground that was kind of nifty he's he's athletic but he's just not a shortstop so. Um, yeah, so roster construction is garbage. Uh, there's no way to sugarcoat this at all. It's shit. It is complete shit. Yep, it is. And, you know, Hernandez has made a sixth error since we talked last. His outs above average is negative five, which is worse than anyone at any position in the entire league. And credit to him for giving that a shot. You know, this is he was put into this situation. This is not a knock on Hernandez defensively. He's willing to try shortstop, center field, second base, where the team needs him, and that's great. But it, this just this, we we now have Anne Manuel Valdez, who's hitting under two hundred at AAA, and just happens to be the only guy on the forty man. Um, you know, you think that they probably did that move because. Chang will only be out for a day or two. So it's the easiest move to not have to make a associated 40-man move. But yeah, this is what, you know, if and when another injury happens, this is what's going to happen. And I don't know. I have to think that in this... <laughs> I don't know why I would have any confidence in this after they rolled Franchi Cordero out at first for an extra two months last year. But it seems to me that they have to make a move at shortstop if they are still hovering around 500. But... 
I'm sure I'm wrong with that. Um, <laughs> moving on to the hitting stats, and as Keaton said, there are days where the hitting has saved them, and then there's others where uh, it's very frustrating watching the Red Sox leave men on base and not execute a runner at third with one out or extending leads. Um, you know, going down the line, and we can take our pick of who we want to discuss here. Tristan Cass, a stre- uh, slash line, 135, 220, 308. Christian Arroyo, 160, 192, 200. Uh, Enrique Hernandez, 177, 268, 323. Masataka Yoshida, 167, 310, 250. Connor Wong, 171, 256, 286. And because he seems to be starting now, we'll put Yu Chang's 077-143-192 slash line into the mix. So, um, I'm going to go talk about Cassis. and grab a puke bucket, and Keaton's going to talk about Tristan Cassis. Great. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to jump on uh, on the Twitter question here from uh, Lurtrimus here, who sends us a question: Do we think Cassis will ever be able to hit lefties? Answer. He, he kind of can. Um, however, he can't hit righties, <laughs> which is weird. Um, he is walking more and striking out less against lefties and has a 114 WRC plus against lefties versus a 78 against righties. Um, the slash, or uh, rather just straight average, um, 222 against lefties, 152 against righties. Uh, not great. Over 150 plate appearances, so it's we're getting further and further away from the small sample size. Um, that's super weird. That's super duper weird. That's also uh, last year and this year included. That's not just for this year, like a 2023 anomaly. That's who he has been in the major league so far. That is really really weird and not what you would have expected and uh that actually kind of concerns me because initially we were all concerned hey is he even going to be able to hit lefties and he actually kind of is for whatever reason he can't hit righties those are supposed to be the people he mashes uh and he's not really doing anything against those guys that's weird that's really weird that's this is something to watch to me he's been very passive and I know that that's his game. And credit to him after striking out four times in Tuesday night's game, getting up and taking a walk um, in the last, I think it was in the last inning, in a huge spot and taking a tough pitch and, and drawing that walk. That's great that he's kind of sticking with his game and trying not to press too much. But at the same time, he's so passive and he's letting pitches go by early in the at-bat to try to seemingly work or a walk or get into his count um i don't know he looks pretty lost up there and i would say that he's in danger of getting sent to triple a to figure things out but so is everybody else that we just that i listed (laughs) at the beginning there so how the hell can you say he's any worse than anyone else that i listed and deserves to get sent down yeah Um, who's the other option dabak we've seen that right exactly you know, Justin Turner is your full-time first baseman at 38, 39 years old. You can't. You got to. You got to stick with him, and you got to hope that he works his way out of it. 
And yeah, it's not a lefty-righty thing. It's a he just looks pretty lost um, and frustrated, and he's looking at the umpire on clear called thirds. Um, you know, he's got he's to work his way out of this soon, or they're going to be in trouble. Um, anything to add to that, Jake, on Cassis? And if not, who are you going to go with? Um, I, I, I guess the only thing I'll add on Cassis is... Um... I kind of expected him to struggle coming into the year. I was kind of vocal about that. Um, I thought it would be a slow adjustment period. This is even slower than I thought. Um, but, you know, if if you've paid attention to his game, this is kind of the thing. He's been, he's been passive at all levels, and he's taken a while to get to his power. So I'm not super shocked with that. I'm surprised Kike is struggling. To the level that he is. And the guy who I'm really surprised about is Masataka Yoshida. Um, we saw really great at-bats from him in the WBC. He looked really good in the spring. I'm still very confident that at the end of the year, Yoshida will be one of the better hitters on this team. Um, and I think, you know, even if that doesn't say a lot because the team doesn't have a lot of good hitters, but um, I think he will be an above average major league bat um, by the end of the year. I, I think there's enough there. I know he's rolling over on a lot of balls right now, hitting way too many grounders, but I think the bat to ball skills are real. The selectivity is real. I think he's just stuck in a rut right now and um, he's having trouble figuring it out. But um, guys who I'm hitting the panic button on right now, definitely Casas, um, Arroyo, uh, Kike kind of looks like he's lost a little bit of a step. I don't care that the catchers are, or the catcher Connor Wong is not hitting because um, Reese is hitting and it's fine. But yeah, I mean, you can't really have an effective offense if it's just Devers, Verdugo, and Turner. Um, so Yoshi needs to get it going, um, or else. This offense is going to be in a really tough spot, and they're going to be putting way too much pressure on pitching. Yeah, I shouldn't have gone third because those were the two that I was going to go with, but uh, I'm going to pile on uh, Rosny Castillo, Yoshida there, uh, who still has three options if those are needed uh, to try to figure things out. Uh, it's great that he has a 97th percentile K rate and an 81st walk rate, but uh, when your average exit velocity is in the bottom 6% and your barrel rate's in the bottom 13%, it's not really going to matter whether you're putting the ball in play because he's continuing to just pound the ball on the ground on the right side and not try to go the other way and just looks like he cannot handle a major league fastball right now. So I will admit I am concerned about Yoshida and it's probably, I'm not going to draw any conclusions yet, but uh, I am hopeful that this is not something the last three years of the contract that we look back on and uh, think was a, a wild contract that they have to, to try to figure out how to maneuver things. Um, can, can we just say how much worse everything Bloom has done is going to look if Masataki Yoshida really is a bust? Like, that's going to be the ch the the cherry on top of an absolute shit Sunday of a career here for boom if if he sticks well, the team with that contract and it's terrible like i don't think it's because... going to be terrible but yeah 
No, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, especially because it happened, I think, earlier in the day of when Bogarts left, right? Wasn't It seemed like that was their priority that day. Oh, they. Yes, you know, that this is day the precursor we were thinking to a bigger the, move. Exactly. We were thinking it, we were going to get the double whammy. It was all those tweets on Twitter about, like, oh, we're hearing so many things about traction and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. yeah you've been waiting for your big splash, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we all sounded just like that, too. Big splash in the bowl. Yeah, we were all uh, sending audio files talking just like that to each other. <laughs> all right. A um, couple of questions to close the show. Um, we've got Polly from Buffalo sent a nice email. He said that the uh, Monsters of Sox podcast was talking about Roger Clemens being a Red Sox enemy, which I understand in a way. But in 1996, when I was 11 years old, I was uh, reaching the ball through the gate by the team parking lot, and he took it and signed it and threw it to Aaron Seeley, who also signed and threw it back and told me to have an awesome rest of my day, and thanks for coming out. Still a top five moment of my life, and he will forever be my favorite pitcher for that. Keep bringing it every week. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Polly. That's nice. Um, is Roger Clemens a Red Sox enemy uh, in either of your minds? No way. I... Roger Clemens was like one of my childhood heroes. Um, on the back of all my little league cards, it says favorite player and says Roger Clemens. So uh, I, uh, I loved Clemens, and I think people are complicated. Like just because you had a rough relationship with the media at times and with ownership or whatever, um, Clemens loved the fans here. He really did, um, and. He might be a, a crappy human being in a lot of ways, but um, I don't know. He pitched his ass off when he was here, and uh, he's one of the best. So I I have nothing but love for Clemens and his time with the Red Sox. Roger Clemens, to me, is a Houston Astro. So, Wow. Why is that? I just want to hear a reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> place that he first pitched at 41 yeah i just wanted to make you guys feel old so did it work the thing is he won a cy young in houston um we can debate the uh legitimacy of anything he did in the back half of his career but he won a cy young there uh pitched in a lot of huge playoff games that i remember there before he was in george steinbrenner's box when he was 44 (laughs) going back to new york (laughs) I forgot about um, that. But I, so one, I don't know, I was what, 10, 11 years old in 95 and 96. So that was kind of when I was first starting to get into, you know, become like a, a true fan of the game. And Clemens had a 4.18 ERA in 95 and a 3.63 ERA in 96. And he was 33 years old, which back then, for a certain era happened, was kind of the down swing of your career and in my head i remember thinking this guy is kind of you know on the on the way out potentially and then he went to toronto and he won two straight cy youngs and was staring down the uh box on the the owner's box on the way out but that's one of my first memories of him other than you know all the times he struck out 20 batters when i was uh very young but i don't consider him an enemy I like the Aaron Seeley reference, though. He's one of my favorite 12-6 to 6 
curveballs back in the day. He does have one of the all-time This Is Sports Center commercials, though, where he's holding up the line at the copier machine, printing out all the Ks. <laughs> yeah, it's a This good was one. Clemens? Yeah. yeah. I got to go back to that. I figured it wasn't Aaron Seeley in this, this Sports Center commercial. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do we all agree that the best Sports Center commercial of all time is Landon the, Donovan? Oh, no. I think it's the Albert Pujols. Why didn't you eliminate him, Albert? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. I, I, like, I like Landon Donovan's. What was that? Uh, again, at the copier, um, it like gets jammed and like spits out a yellow card. And he's like, "Oh, come on, man!" It like kicks it and then spits out a red card. <laughs> That's right. I That's um, I always liked Evander Holyfield searching for Charlie Steiner, who was hiding under a table to come out and kick his ass um, <laughs> because he had called him like the twelfth best boxer or something along those lines. And uh, always liked Charlie Steiner. All right, uh, from Danny T. Hey guys, love the show. Looking back at the hiring of GMs by ownership, could we pick up on a potential pattern? After Theo, they brought in Sherrington, who was focused on prospect depth. Once the farm system got better, he's gone for Dombrowski. This offseason, after what should be a fourth place finish at best, could we see a hire of someone like David Stearns with uh, Bloom playing the same role as Ben Sherrington? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because everyone that has been brought in has had a different approach, and then a lot of them have won World Series off of some of their own guys and some of the prior regime guys, and it's sometimes hard to remember who was whose guy going all the way back to Theo and Dan Duquette before that, who brought in some of the guys that Theo won with. So um, what do you guys think, you know, in terms of the next GM? Are they going to go a completely different route because the build up the farm system and go the raise way but with money guy is uh didn't work out this time what do you think keaton so jake and i had actually talked about this before All right. um and there is a pattern but it has, it has absolutely nothing to do with how the gms specifically operate and has everything to do with how the front office can manipulate them uh theo epstein fantastic didn't need to be micromanaged, and we all know how that ended. They bring in Charrington, who could be completely micromanaged, and I don't think really ever did anything on his own in the job. Um, and that didn't end well. And then followed by Dombrowski, who management had pledged, like specifically was going to be completely hands-off, let him be hands-off, and then that ended when they were like, no, now we're going to be really hands-on. We don't want you specifically to do this contract. And he was like, we didn't agree on this amount. Well, he didn't say amount. They said, all right, well, screw you, you're out. Uh, and then they bring in somebody, again, who they can kind of manipulate. So it really has nothing to do with the, like, the philosophy of the general manager. And it's basically like, hey, can we tell you what to do? And if people get mad at us, can we blame it on you and change our minds? And how well do you agree with that? That's kind of how it goes. And then they react to public opinion kind of in a knee-jerk way. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. I like that. What do you think, Jake? You agree? I mostly agree. Yeah. I, I think uh, Keaton's on to it. I, I think one of the things that uh, hurts Bloom at this point, or the Red Sox, I guess I should say. It doesn't hurt Bloom. But when they fire Bloom after this year... Um, 
the farm system isn't nearly as good as it has been after uh, firing some of these other guys. So if the next guy that comes in is like a real mover and shaker uh, with making trades, um, you know, the, the cupboard is not nearly as full as it once was in the major league roster is uh, not good. So uh, whoever gets the next job has a very uh, tough road ahead of them and is going to have to spend some significant cash to get this thing pointed in the right direction. Yeah, well, you don't have uh, Yohan Mankata, Michael Kopech. I don't know. Do they have Do they have the guys to, to trade at this point um, if they do decide to reverse course? Um, I don't think so. I don't either. That's what concerns me is I don't feel like what's looming other than um, Marcelo Meyer and uh, maybe Miguel Blase in three or four years. I don't want to. I don't want to trade either of those guys. Um, especially not Meyer, who could potentially be a year. I mean, I don't know. I go back. To, I don't want to trade either of those guys. So I don't know. Whoever's next, if if this is it for Bloom, has. Pretty tough job in front of them one way or another. Real difficult. And then uh, our last Twitter question. Uh, we had one earlier. Uh, it says, we're going to give this one to you, Keaton. Uh, from at Jeff underscore Wax. Uh, will you Chang get elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame? I think you better Chang that thought, Jeff. Wow. It was as bad as you said it was going to be, Keaton. Yeah, and I meant to wait the whole episode for it. Are you glad that I did that? I am. I think it's a fitting way to uh, to end the show. Jeff Wax, I you. think that question is whack. All right. Um, find us at Twitter. I'm at Bob Osgood 15 Jake is at Dev Jake. Keaton's at The Spoken Keats. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Um, send us a Gmail question at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Yeah.